Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go back in for a second dip tonight. Hebrews chapter 10. Grab the stool. Well, let's talk about this morning. Let's talk about that. Uh, I recognize it's a very controversial topic and a very uh, controversial text. I didn't bring it up just to incite controversy. However, uh, I believe that as a pastor, it's my responsibility to preach the whole counsel of God's word, even passages that are difficult in this morning. And tonight's are, in some ways, as hard as, hard as it, it comes. Uh, talk back to me. What did you hear this morning? What do you wish you had heard this morning? Uh, how should we follow up tonight? Let, let me know what you're thinking. It was, a, it was a pretty deep and, in some ways, doctrinal uh, heavy night. Yeah, Larry. What did you hear, Larry? What was the word this morning? Yeah. Right. Through disbelief. Yeah. I think bottom line, I would, by rejecting Christ. Yeah. And we come back to that tonight in, in Hebrews 10. I, I think what I was trying to say, what I feel like the scripture teaches is that, uh, uh, to put it kind of bluntly, um, God's not going to save anybody who doesn't want to be saved. He just won't save anybody, can't save anybody who won't be saved. He's not going to take somebody by the nap of the neck and drag them into heaven. If they won't come, if they reject him, God leaves our freedom intact. And I know that's difficult, and I know there's tension involved with that. Now, this morning, the sermon title was Real Warning, Real Assurance, and I think that both are there. And if you begin to, to, to saw off the limb that connects them, something becomes sort of distorted about our, our theology of salvation. There is real warning in Scripture against falling away. But there's also at the very same time real assurance. And you say, how can it be both? Well, it just is. It just is. And I'm one of those that is, that is willing to leave the tension there. If the tension is in Scripture, then the tension ought to be in my preaching. I think there's real warning, but real assurance at the same time. And we'll pick up right there again in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go all the way back to verse 19. And I sort of soak in the scripture tonight. This is really, really good, really good stuff. Remember that the, the preacher in the book of Hebrews is concerned that his congregation has no appetite for deeper things. And he's doing his best to help them to, to develop an appetite, to begin to understand the, the deeper matters of salvation. And, uh, and this is where it takes him. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Pay, pay attention. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Notice this theme of, of passionate boldness and confidence as Christians. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. 
Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Dear friends, here we go again. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and un unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said the Lord will judge his own people. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering? Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken away from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Isn't that good? Do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Yeah. Again, it's another one of those places in Scripture where there's a, a definite word of warning, a definite word of warning, but these warnings are always, always, always followed by strong words of assurance. We're not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We're the faithful ones. So always the warning and the assurance are, are, are held together. Go back to verse 26 with me. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we receive knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Okay, that's scaring me now. Because ever since I received knowledge of the truth, I have continued to sin. Just ask my wife. What is this verse saying? What is this passage teaching? If we deliberately continue sinning after we receive knowledge of the truth, is there anyone who has not sinned since they, since they became a Christian? Okay, you're all in trouble. What's this saying? No longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. I, I thought if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did that get canceled? What's this verse teaching? Let's read it. 
Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. Here we go. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God, have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Okay, I don't think we've done all that. You understand? So we're not just talking about those of us who sin because we all continue to have sin in our lives. Not, I pray that for none of us that that sin is deliberate. I don't get up early in the morning and make it my goal to fall into sin. I struggle by the power of the Spirit. I struggle against the sin in my life, and you do too. That's the Christian life. We continue to struggle through sin as God does his perfect work of sanctification in us. That's just the Christian life. So we're not talking about the kind of, of, of sin that, that we all fall into. We, we turn around and confess that and continue to walk in grace and forgiveness. We're talking about something else here. What are we talking about here? Verse 29, those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have Here's the key, insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. We're talking about a very special, particular class of person here. Who is the person who would do all of this? Yeah, a, a blasphemer. You've heard Jesus say that the only sin that is unpardonable is to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. So we're getting now into that neighborhood. Yeah, it goes back to what we said this morning. This is the person who has known Christ, who has surrendered to Christ, has heard and received the gospel, has received the Holy Spirit, and then but by, by coldness and darkness of heart somehow comes back to God and points their finger in God's face and says, I do not want you. Now again, you'd say, how could that happen? Who would do that? I, I don't know. It's not going to happen to any of you. I, I can say that with the confidence of the scripture. It's not going to happen to you. But it obviously is something that the author in Hebrews is very concerned for. That those who once say yes to Christ and yes to the Holy Spirit would later finally and deliberately say no to him. Now, we're not talking about an, an, an episode where you struggle with doubt. Perhaps many of us have struggled with doubt. I have struggled with, with very serious doubts in my faith through the years. And we're not talking about people who get angry at God for a time. We're, we're not talking about people who for a season fall into grievous sin. We're not talking about that. We're talking about something very, very different and very dark here. A person who you could say tramples on the Son of God, even though they should know him and love him. And a person who treats the blood of the covenant, which makes them holy, as if that blood were uncommon and unholy. To, to sin against the very blood of Jesus and to insult and disdain the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But notice where the scripture turns from there. Again, real warning here. 
Author of Hebrews is concerned that this congregation in their lazy brainedness, uh, in their spiritual apathy, in their coldness, that they could begin to just slide to the point where they no longer care at all for the blood of Jesus and the grace that saves them. He's concerned about that. But, but notice where the concern comes from. Verse 32. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and you were beaten. Sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered. Notice how I keep saying, you suffered. You suffered. But how did we start out? Remember back on those early days when you first knew Christ. Man, those were good days. You suffered. Why is it when old people talk about the good old days, they always sound so bad? You ever talk to your grandma? She's telling you about the good old days, back when she had to make her own soap. And you just want to go, what was good about that? Can you tell me? They tell you about the good old days, and for the life of me, I don't know why we'd want to go back. Sounds horrible. Walking to school, uphill both ways in the snow, one-room schoolhouse, 50 kids, one old lady, school teacher, no heat, no food, no books. But we learned. Yeah. Tell me, why does it always sound so bad? As a matter of fact, why is it that often in our own lives, we look back at, at some of what seemed like the worst time of our lives at the time, and then we look back and think, wow, I, I wouldn't trade nothing for that. Can you explain that to me? It's the paradox that you find here in verse 32 and following. Yeah, Tim. Yeah, we look back in the hard times and we begin to see how Jesus brought us through that. And there's a sweetness to that. Yeah, there really is. Margaret Ann. Yeah, God can do in our hearts through hardship what he really can't do in our comfort. God can do in my heart, in my suffering, what he just can't seem to do if every one of my days was, was, was a good day. It's, it's, it, it's difficult. I, I, sometimes somebody will say, Brother Tim, you know, I, I, wish, I wish I had the marriage that you and Casey have. Y'all just seem so happy, and, and we are happy, but um, man, uh, there were a number of years there that were full of so much sorrow for us, and most of you were there for that. Um, you can wish you have what we have now, but I wouldn't wish it on you to go through what we had to go through. Um, God created a beautiful love between us, but it, but it really was um, hammered out on the anvil of, of, of loss and, and suffering. And, and it lasted for years. Um, so I look back on that and, and, and um, I, I wouldn't trade anything for it. Although at the time it, 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 it was misery. To, to stand in the pulpit and preach on some of those Sundays was just the hardest thing in the world. Um, even just to get in bed together and, 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 uh, and, and just promise each other that we wouldn't. Never forget how to hope for good things. Um, 
dang, that was hard. It was just so hard. Um, but how sweet Jesus was in all of that and how good he's been all through it on the other side of it. It's just a paradox. I can't explain it, but I still look back on those days now and, and, uh, and my heart just wells up with more gratitude than anything else. Do you know what I'm talking about? Think back on those days when you first learned about Christ, he says, and remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and you were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the very same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted that with joy. Joy in the middle of suffering? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Interesting. Okay, connect some dots with me. If their problem at the present is, is spiritual dullness, they become sort of lazy-brained and apathetic in their faith, and the preacher in Hebrews wants to call them back to a, to, to a vibrant and, and living faith and a living God and, and to call them back to salvation that has a bit of fear and trembling and joy to it. What do you think has made the difference? What has... Uh, grease the skids that made them slide into this kind of apathy and uh, dullness. What do you think? Yeah, good times. Strains? Good times. The fact is, they used to have to suffer. It used to be really, really difficult to serve the Lord, but it's gotten easy for them now. Remember back when you first heard the word, he says, and you suffered for it? Remember how you were thrown into jail? You remember how they would take all of your possessions? You remember how you gave all that up with such joy? Where's that joy now? All I see is dullness. Yeah, Mark, what is it? Suffering has a way of making everything come into sharp perspective. Yeah, what matters and what doesn't matter. Yeah. As far as persecution goes, Mark, you're likely perhaps the only person in the room who's actually suffered 
uh, real persecution for your faith. Mark Riggenbach, as you all know, grew up on the mission field of Peru. Uh, his dad is an amazing man of God who preached in a place where it was difficult to preach. Uh, your neighbors, I think, tried to blow the ports off your house several times. Am I correct? Uh, tried to burn the ports off your house. Uh, they would throw rocks through your bedroom window as a little boy. Uh, as a little boy, you have fallen asleep with broken glass in your, back when you had hair, you had broken glass in, in your hair. Um, it's an amazing story, and it's a story of such joy that your dad writes in this book. Um, it's just what the preacher in Hebrews is saying. He, he says, do you remember when people used to try to burn the ports off your house? Because do you really need somebody to burn the ports off your house now? I mean, do you need somebody to hold a gun to your head every day of your life so that you continue to know what matters, what's truly important? We just lose perspective. There's a guy named Matthew who was uh, abandoned by his father and his mother who was an addict when he was a five-year-old boy, and the church took him in. church took him in. The men of the church were wonderful to Matthew, and, and they just became uncles and big brothers and fathers to him. And uh, Matthew would say that the, the church made all the difference in the world in his life. He's a grown man now. One day recently, he and his wife went down to the park to feed the ducks. He got down there to the park, and uh, there were these three kids on a bench, just three kids, uh, stair-step kids, uh, two girls, sisters, and a little, uh, little brother. They were eating these uh, big uh, limp burritos that you get at like Minute Mart. They were eating these big, fat, limp burritos and um, snotty noses and, and the whole thing. They were sitting there on the bench. Uh, Matthew and his wife started feeding the ducks and kind of not paying attention to the kids. And one of the little kids, the oldest girl's name was Deanna. Uh, she said, can we feed the ducks with you? Honestly, Matthew was just kind of in a frame of mind where he didn't really want to fool with somebody else's kids. Uh, but he, uh, uh, out of politeness, let them sort of throw some of the bread in and the, kids started just just talking and, and Matthew said where are your parents the little girl said well my daddy's dead and her daddy ran off and his daddy beat him and so mama had to leave him uh, so mama and her boyfriend wanted to go to the casino so they got us burritos and dropped us off here so they could have some time together okay so at this point Matthew sort of begins to pay attention and he looks down at the little boy uh, with this big fat limp burrito in his hand and he realizes that the little boy is wearing a shirt from his church's vacation Bible school that past summer. So he says, uh, did, did you all go to Bible school this, this past summer at such and such a church? And Deanna said, no, no, uh, we got that shirt in a, in a box full of clothes that somebody gave us at Goodwill. So... Um, at that point, he recognized that the kids don't go to church anywhere. Matthew was just kind of having some things start rushing, rushing back for him. And uh, about that time, Deanna, the little girl, said, do you go to church? Matthew said, yes, we, we go to such and such a church. She said, I, I've been to church a couple of times, and I heard him talk about Jesus and how he would, would help people. He would heal people, and he would do things for the poor. Why don't he do that anymore? Why don't he do that anymore? At, at that point, Matthew remembered 
just remembered what it was like to be a little boy abandoned by his father and abandoned by his mother and taken into the arms of the church. And he just looked into those eyes of those kids and said, do you have any idea how much Jesus loves the three of you? He said that that, that day was sort of a, a come to Jesus sort of moment for himself because in his life he had gotten so far from that and, and in some ways he had worked his whole life to, to, to not continue to be the little abandoned boy that, that, that nobody cared for the little abandoned boy that needed everybody's charity he worked hard not to be that little boy but then to look at that little boy and his two sisters and, and it, it sort of started coming back the, the the memory and compassion that go with 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 knowing what you've been through and what you've, what you've come through. Verse 33, sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and you were beaten and sometimes you helped others. You helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail and, and when all you owned was taken away from you, you accepted it with joy. Do you see this whole connection here of, of how in those difficult times you, you took care of people, you, you helped people? You know, in the world, it's really not the rich people who do all the giving and helping. It's, it's the poor people. I mean, poor people just give and, and help each other. And it's because they still know, they still remember. Somehow in our affluence, somehow in our comfort, we just forget. We forget what matters. We forget what Christ has done for us. And we start thinking that we somehow deserve all of this. You see, that, that comfort of our lives is a trap. It makes us forgetful. It makes us forget what Christ has done. It makes us forget the, the, the gratitude that we owe him. And it makes us forget what we should be doing for everybody else. When all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy because you knew there were better things. There were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings. The better our lives get, the longer the stretch of good days we have, the more we begin to forget that there's something better. That, that this, this life is not all there is. That, that the possessions, the wealth, the comfort of this life is not to be what we fall in love with. We fall in love with Jesus and all of the better things that are waiting for us on the other side. It, it seems like when their lives got easier, their, their faith became more shallow, more dull. And I suppose that that's always a trap for us as well. The easier it is to love the Lord and to serve him, the less we will love and serve him. Remember the days when you first learned Christ, he says. You, you suffered then and you had joy. Just be aware of the fact that the comfort of our lives is a trap. And we must, with all of our hearts, fight against that tendency to become very, very comfortable and very, very spiritually dull. It will put out the fire of Christ in our lives if we let our hearts grow cold.
Any, any final thoughts, anything? Let's, uh, Larry, did you want to say something? Yeah, the, the book of Hebrews where you find these dire warnings against falling away is also the book where you look to find the great confidence and assurance. With boldness we come before him. There is no insecurity uh, in Christ whatsoever. We come with boldness and confidence knowing that he is able to keep us. Absolutely. We don't live a life of fear uh, that somehow our salvation will be snatched. That's the way I interpret scripture. But understand, I, I know that there is room for disagreement there, and I'm not in any way insisting that everybody a, a agree there. There's been so much disagreement uh, around these matters, uh, but they seemed important for us to talk about uh, so that we can understand the beauty and mystery of our salvation. Let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. For those of you who don't stay up all night long on New Year's Eve, Happy New Year's! Uh, there you go. We, we just had your party. Now you can go to bed. Uh, Fall asleep right in the weather like you always do and, and know that you'll be blessed and happy in the coming year. Uh, let's stand together. Let's pray. Um, we have six minutes. I bet you we can pretty much get this church undecorated, which is our goal, uh, so that we can all go home. So the more of you who will stay and help us, uh, the, the faster this whole place gets, gets undecorated. You don't have to know exactly what to do. If there's something that looks like Christmas, take it down. And, and, and that is our goal. We do need somebody who is, uh, is fearless and not afraid to go up pretty high on a ladder because we need to take uh, these high things down. So if one of you is feeling a little squirrely tonight, uh, we, we've got some climbing for you. So, so please stay and help us so that we don't have to stick around and, and, and do it all night long, just a few of us. The tree and the vestibule needs to be completely undecorated and, and taken down. That, that's a good job for some people. All of the boxes and everything Christmassy right now is being stored in that singles Sunday school room. All of that can come out, and when it's all packed back up, we're going to carry it over to the parsonage. So room 13 is that singles room. Okay, so as many of you who can stay and help, uh, it, it won't take uh, a, a number of us very long at all. So there's plenty of work for everybody. If you'll just stick around, do a little bit of something, and we'll all get it done, okay? Uh, let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you so much for the beauty of our salvation. Lord Jesus, may we continue to walk with you in gratitude and devotion. Lord, may you keep our hearts on fire, passionate and bold before you. And may we never cease to tell others uh, of what the Savior can do for those who will simply turn to him in repentance and faith. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done in our lives and in our church in the past year. 
We thank you, Lord, for bringing us Rod Ellis, and we thank you for the way he has led us, and especially through this Christmas season. We thank you, Lord, uh, for all those in this church who serve with such passion and love. And Lord, we pray that we will move into this coming year in full faithfulness and in full devotion to you. And may we always, Lord, walk in deep, deep love for one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.